The Raw Rugby Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Raw Rugby Podcast. I'm Brett McKay. The numbers are in. Ball in pod time is up. Number of intro resets are down and the total elapsed edit time has been slashed as the pod's new law variations have worked to great effect in 2023. And of course, your place for the biggest and best rugby discussion is the raw.com.au, Australia's biggest sporting debate. Absolutely fantastic chat with Ian Pryor last week. Got so many great comments about it. I know he enjoyed it as well. Uh, and we've definitely already talked to him about coming back on the pod through the international portion of the season as well. So stay tuned for that. Joining me this and every week, a man still coming to grips with the routine that comes with being a new rugby columnist, Harry Jones. Hello, mate. How are you going? How's it, Brett? I'm also working on a skin regimen. As you might notice, my skin is much smoother now. You're glowing. Part of because glowing. Part of we're talking to a hooker today, and I realized that hookers are the new sex symbols in rugby. Uh, I noticed that because um, Eddie <laughs> Do Jones, they know? And I, as you know, I'm Eddie skeptic, but Eddie was talking about mm. how Jordan Ulysses was picked because he was big and ugly and reminded him of mm. Malcolm Marx. Malcolm Marx is a handsome man, I have to say. Uh, and then I thought, there are other handsome hookers. There's Dan Sheehan. There's Julian Montoya. There's mm, uh, certainly Julian Marchand. And so, uh, yeah, I decided to you know spruce up and I've done some skin care and preparation yeah. for our um blue blood this week yeah there's only one problem in this thinking mate you were a number eight <laughs> <laughs> no but as i said in the end we all end up as props we all end up in the front yeah <laughs> that's fair that's fair that's fair uh the uh the super rugby stats reference of course is um related to some data that came in uh late last week which we'll talk about a little later we'll more a little bit more on that um and a bit of a shout out to some friends of the podcast who are absolutely flying at the moment andrew kelloway made his uh mm. comeback from injury on the weekend straight back in the wallaby squad ryan lonigan suddenly is number two scrum half in australia james slipper is running like a center and it's magnificent to watch um, and that obviously all bodes well for, for ian Pryor when he next pulls on Western Force jersey as well. And a bit of a shout out um, to our mate, Harry Wilson. And I know you've been in contact with him, mate, after he missed the, the Wallaby squad. Tragedy. Yeah. Yeah. I feel but, like, you know, it's honest. just it's just a squad, but it might have been one of the guys that Eddie was sending a message to. And I think he just yeah. going to come out even harder. He's a good boy. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll certainly get into that a little bit later too. Uh, a wonderful guest, though, this week. And it's not often we get to speak to genuine doyens of the game, but this week's guest certainly fills that well-deserved description. The Raw Rugby Podcast. We go back to the pod's Dublin studio, but this time there's no hairy man in it after an Aviva Rugby Weekend bender. Please welcome former Ireland international hooker and Leinster legend. He's coached in France and Wales. He's now a pundit on RTE, the 42 and the Sunday Independent. Bernard Jackman, welcome to the Raw Rugby Podcast. Thank you, guys. Um, certainly not a, one of the good-looking hookers. Uh, in my time, it was Dimitris Farveski, the... The French hooker with the lovely hair. Um, oh yes, yeah. He, yeah. He, was the, he was he was the standout. But um, no, I, I, Harry, I, I don't have your skincare regime. I have too much skin to. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I can't afford a moisturizer. But uh, look, I'm glad to be on. And I, I listened to the Ian Pryor's um, pod last week, and, and and I loved it. So yeah, I, I just want to send, uh, um, agree with you guys and wish him luck with his with his selection in, in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I, I don't know, Bernard, I'm, 
I might have under, underestimated you. There could still be Six Nations party going in Dublin somewhere, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, look, and I think it went on um, for, for most of that week. But no, I think Leo Cullen and Graham Roundtree, Dan McFarland, um, the players are all back anyway. The players are all back uh, in their provinces and um, on detox. Uh, some of them had to play last week. Some, some yes. of them had to play last weekend. So uh, I look at it. I think it's something that's obviously so rare for four Grand Slams ever for Ireland. First one won at mm. home. Um, mm. It was great. They didn't have to go back to their provinces to play that week. Um, some of the fringe players did, to be fair, but the majority of the players were given that week off. And, uh, um, you know, obviously it would have been pretty hectic on the Saturday night, Sunday with family and, 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 and friends. But I think then <laughs> and, they got, they and, got and, to spend a bit of time. The group got smaller. <laughs> And the probably the, <laughs> yeah. the conversations got more intimate, and uh, uh, you know yourself, lads. When you have a mixture of fear and uh, you're re-topping it up, um, you can be some close personal discussions. But I, I think it's been brilliant, and, and uh, hopefully it won't be the end of silverware this year for for Irish teams. Um, provincially, obviously, Leinster in good stead. They they're into the quarterfinal. The only Irish province is the quarterfinal, which is a little bit worrying. But um, you know that they they look like they have the tools to have an amazing season, maybe go unbeaten in both competitions. And um, obviously then Ireland at the World Cup, I'm sure we, we'll, we'll touch on that. Yeah, and we'll get we'll get into the Champions Cup quarterfinals in just a second too. We start in the same place every week, Bernard. It's a simple question of what stood out for you on the on this mad weekend of rugby? I thought, um, ironically, actually, red cards not dictating the results to a certain extent. So I don't know yeah. if you saw, but the... Lions had a red card quite early against Racing 92 in, in Johannesburg and won the game convincingly. Montpellier had an early red card against Exeter, but managed to, to come back and the game went to extra time and actually was level after extra time, but Exeter went through on on um, try scored. So, yeah, that was for me is that, is that teams are getting better, being able to adapt to having a, um, a, player, a player sent off permanently. Mm. Yeah, we're certainly seeing that. And Harry, the number of cards in Super Rugby, particularly the last two rounds, has just plummeted. We had we were basically going at ten around the first four rounds, and I think we've had maybe seven in total in the last two weeks. What stood out for you on the weekend? Yeah, I'm that. I was, you know, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, or I'm a conspiracy theory skeptic. And but it does seem like the refs are doing a concerted effort to ease up. As we go into open our shock window to the world in the World Cup, we don't want to have the thing decided by arbitrary mm. uh, tackle heights and so forth. Um, I, I like watching the uh, Leicester Edinburgh game in the rain because there were some internationals on both sides that are, yeah. were pitted, pitted against each other in World Cup preview. You had Freddie Stewart, Mario, Mariano Buffelli, a friend of the pod preview. Indeed. Uh, Andre Pollard, we had Duan van der Merwe, the Afrikaner Andro- Android. We had James Ritchie, Hamish Watson, and then we had Jasper Visa, the friendly ghost. Um, Visa came on and did one of the best tries of a number eight I've seen. I mean, the guy yeah, just right. tiptoed up the sidelines, smashed Jamie Ritchie. And so these were previews of Pool B, and in some yeah. cases Pool D. And so I thought it was interesting because there was one try decided it. It wasn't like um, the extravaganza that you saw in Fiji. On the other hand, I really enjoyed that game in Fiji. And who would want to go play in Fiji great. right now? Wow. Yeah. They could be oh. the best club team in the world if they play in Fiji. 
Yeah, and I, I had only wrote, written last week that the Rebels on current form could beat Fiji anywhere in the world except Suva, and that was a problem <laughs> because the game was in Suva. <laughs> so, yeah, interesting. Fantastic, Look, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Look, the, the, the Brumbies-Waratahs derby that followed that that Fiji-Rebels game was an absolute ripper, but when I got home, turned on the TV and it's Sharks Munster just after half time, and I thought, oh, you beauty, I'll watch this. And the Sharks got out to a lead and they were doing it comfortably and they put the put the cue in the rack and they're all great. This is all fine, Bernard. And then suddenly Munster sort of thought, no, we might keep playing for a while here. And they'd come back <laughs> and then the Sharks would kick out again and they'd put the cue back in the rack and the Munster would go, no, we're not quite done. And it, was a, it was a game that should have been much more comfortable than it was and end up being, what, 80-odd points for the game. Yeah, it was a crazy game. And uh, I think that third quarter, Really hurt monster that came out. Obviously, the, you know it's it's winter here. It's um it's summer down there. But they really looked to struggle in that in that heat. Um mm. and yeah, look at I think monster obviously being out this early in Europe is, is unusual. And I just think that they allow that game get out of out of control. Um, they monster have always been a team who have played real cup rugby in in, in Europe, and you know kept the game really narrow and tight but that third quarter just the Sharks power advantage was was very evident and Munster looked like they were running on fumes and um, they have spent a huge amount of time talking about being fitter and working hard at training to to be fitter um, and I do believe they are fitter but just they couldn't handle the heat and couldn't handle the the speed and athleticism of that Sharks team who on paper, are, are, are challengers, but their form had been quite poor. They'd been bad yeah. the four away. The week before it. against Ospreys, they were terrible, weren't they? Yeah, re- really poor in Wales, and um, it just haven't been, you know, the team that we would expect them to be based on the quality of Springboks that they've they've recruited and signed. And um, but yet, when we saw when you know walk, watching that game, I'm like, wow, you wouldn't want to run into them um, in a in the knockout stages. So <laughs> they definitely are a team with a lot of ability. Um, and the Stormers as well, and they seem to be the two teams and on form. Bulls have been a little bit up and down, but um, sorry, Stormers are the team on form, the Sharks are the team with the potential, and the yeah. Bulls are just in a little bit of a, a a tricky period. I think there's a bit of change there off the field. So, yeah, it's um, it's it's interesting. You know, obviously this is their this is their first year in the European Cup. We're used to them in the URC since last season, but um, two teams in the in the knockout stages, which is brilliant for. For South African rugby, yeah, no doubt. Yeah, all the quarterfinals yeah. have, have been set, of course, this this weekend. Leinster playing Leicester yes. in Dublin, uh, Toulouse hosting the Sharks uh, in in France, Exeter hosting the Stormers uh, there at Sandy Park, and uh, Stud Rochelet against Saracens as well. So, who do you who do you fancy there, Bernard? Where do you think it's it's yeah, going to go? I think it'll probably be all home. Um, to be honest, I think Saracens. Will- were good in the end against the Ospreys, but got themselves into a battle. They made a lot of errors. Mako Gunapola was brilliant. Billy Gunapola had had a really mixed game, some brilliant things, but some, some a lot of errors as well. On paper, Saracens obviously have you know a lot of quality. They've won it before, so, but I just think La Rochelle obviously is the holders and the power game. And and Ron O'Gara, yeah. who I played with, will be delighted that they they found a way to win. You know, um, yeah. I don't know if you remember the final against Leinster last year in, in Marseille. You know, they won it at the death. They beat Gloucester at the death at the weekend. Um, one of their group games, they they came back from behind to score to death. And he loved that. He loved that, yes. you know, sense of belief. So I think La Rochelle will win. I think Toulouse will win. I think um, 
Stormers might beat Exeter. Um, I think Exeter are a bit vulnerable at the moment. Um, obviously, there's a big transition there, rebuilding the squad, uh, salary cap issues that they just need to, to let some high-quality players go. Um, I think Stormers can win in, in, in Sandy Park. And then I think Leinster will beat Leicester on Friday in, um, in the Viva. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that'll be the last four for me. You, you definitely fancy the Stormers' chances, Harry, but can the Sharks sneak through as well? If you mean the Stormers, the fairest team in all the world, the the team of good hope, the uh, where two where two oceans collide and the beautiful culture is developed. No, I think the Stormers will take Exeter. Exeter struggled mightily to put away Montpellier with one uh, with one player down. Mm-hmm. So they, I think, they're vulnerable as as Birch says. But but I do think um, yeah, the home team should take the rest. I, I think the Sharks are too up and down. They got a sevens coach. Neil Powell's a wonderful mm. coach, but he's a sevens coach. And it was Sean Everett was kicked to the curb. They have these wonderful players, but they haven't found um, what they are yet. And when they ignite, yeah. I mean, come on, no one can stop that. They are so quick and so powerful. But I don't think that they will find that same uh, game waiting for them this weekend. Um, I think in general, though, like the Leicester... Leinster game will be fun for hashtags because it'll be LEI versus LEI. I don't know what you do with that. (laughs) (laughs) It'll be fun on Twitter, yeah. Yeah, it will. It will. And and for the for our Australian listeners, um, B in sports is your is your friend there over the weekend. So you should find those games in the early hours of um, of Saturday and, and Sunday morning Australian. So it's breakfast awesome rugby is wonderful, man. Breakfast rugby, how good, how good. Yeah, look. It's, well, it's, we we grew up in that over here, lads, with the with Super Rugby. You know, um, true. Um, it's actually not as we don't see as much of it as as we used to, but uh, yeah, I think that was most. Most rugby fans in Europe's staple before they went to play mm. a game or go coaching or, or go watch a, their pro side was was to watch Super Rugby. And um, yeah, it's mm. brilliant. T- test matches in Argentina, Bernard. Absolutely fantastic. Australian time. It's like 8 o'clock in the morning. It's just you beauty. You settle down. Nice breakfast in front of you. Watch some rugby. How good a start to the day. Sounds good. <laughs> Sounds <laughs> real good, Harry. Yeah. So, so Birch, uh, obviously... I went to the trouble of uh, buying your book and reading it, and I told you that. Um, and yeah. I'm going to tell you, that was one of the better books I've read about rugby by a rugby player, and I have a couple of questions as a writer. But first, are you related to Hugh Jackman? I have to get that out of the way. <laughs> no, no. My, my wife and my daughter. My wife and my daughter wish I was, but no. Uh, no. <laughs> no, no relation. No relation. And that certainly don't look like them as well. Man. So it clearly is not the first time you wrote something. You look, you seem like a, it's a riveting description of how it feels to be at the end of your career. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a cracking description of what it's like to have a difficult coach. You know, we've potted with Michael Checker. We were scared to death. I mean, up until the <laughs> final second, we weren't sure he was going to show. And then, you know, he has that kind of reputation. Uh, the idea of being forced to play when you're not at your best, um, the, the struggles of a line-out thrower for a hooker, where most of your playing is about being this rough, tough front row, and then you have to do this delicate skill, uh, the emotion, I think, of club rugby. I thought it was wonderful. Did you write that as a journal or a diary, or did you sit down at the end of it all and try to capture you know, a, a crazy Piece season? Together. Yeah, look, at, oh, I think... Realistically, for me, so I, I was a bit of a journeyman, um, but I love I love sporting autobiographies that actually tell you something. Like I, I'm fascinated by people's careers, um, and not just the superstars. You know, people who are maybe right. under the under the radar a little bit. So I had written so since I was about 22, 
I used to write a column every week from for my local paper, and then that became a column for a national paper, um, Evening Herald, who were, who were a partner of Leinster. So I was used to writing. Um, I was used to writing basically uh, every week, and I still have a column now for the Sunday Independent. But uh, I, I felt what I would do is. I felt that no one wants to read Bernard Jackman's autobiography. So, um, and you got to sell a book if you, if you write one. So you don't want to be just the only one uh, who have one copy of it. So I was like, well, what can I talk about? Well, one, I wanted to basically journal my la- my last year or my last years of playing. So I didn't know for sure it was going to be my last year, but I knew it was coming towards the end. Um, so I used to meet up with a, the publisher pretty much every Wednesday night. And he'd interview me and we'd take notes and we'd chat through kind of how the week was going, where my head was at, etc. And then basically when I um when I then I started to do some looks at kind of my my childhood, my time in Connacht, my time in Sale Shark. So basically how the book is, as you know, is it's pretty much a kind of a diary of a season. So one chapter is the start of the season, then it's a little bit about my the second chapter is about kind of my childhood and it it, it flows like that. But what I made a commitment to myself yeah. was yeah. was that I wasn't going to edit it, right? As in, and you can see that there's probably a lot of grammar and spelling mistakes, but what I mean is I wasn't going to take anything out. So how I felt in the book or how I portrayed that I felt was how I felt. And good or bad, I, I whether that was good for me or bad for me in terms of, um, you know, how I was feeling, my mindset, you know, what I said, what I did. I just said, look, I want it to be honest, warts and all. And then you know, in hindsight, probably that you know the way it all the, the way the book starts with that argument with Cheka could have been easy to take that out. You know? I mean, I, I didn't want to go after Michael Cheka. Michael Cheka was brilliant for my career. Um, you know, he's brilliant for Leinster. He started mm. what you see now because he had that no nonsense, uh, passion, drive, um, not accepting mediocrity, total commitment that we needed at the time because Leinster have always had the tools to be the best team in Europe. Um, we had a squad, but we didn't have that mentality. And yeah. Yeah, it's easy it's easy to build on that when it's, when it's there. It's like with the Irish team at the moment. It's easy for Andy Farrell because Joe Schmidt and Declan Kidney, yeah. etc., brought it to a certain level. It's easier. It's, you still have to manage it, but it's easier. Whereas, and with Michael Cechia, I think to be fair to him, he was the one who started that in Leinster. So yeah, it was, yeah. It was effectively a diary, Harry, um that's i sh- and lots of people t- tell me uh, close to me said uh, to protect myself i should have went back and taken things out um but that wasn't <laughs> that wasn't basically that wasn't kind of if i read a book and i've lots of books behind me um i want to feel i want to feel that i learned something more than i would out of a, mm. a soft brand ambassadorial type interview where Someone's trying to sell you something or portray everything's rosy when in reality in life in pro sport, um the the really good times are are ten percent, you know. The the no, book the book's called the, the book's called Blue Blood. It's the the inside yeah. story of Leinster in the in the Michael Checker years. Um were you surprised then, Bernard? And there it is, Harry, thank you. Um were you surprised then or or, or maybe completely bloody unsurprised that he could then go to start Francais and then come back to New South Wales and then the Wallabies and do exactly the same sort of rebuild job effectively. No, I think he's brilliant for that. I, I, yeah. I'm not surprised it didn't work in Stade Francais because they weren't ready. You know, you need to have a foundation of, I, I think probably local or homegrown people, enough of them, I'm not saying you have to be all homegrown, you know, you can bring in outside talent. But mm. I think Michael Cech, he's someone who buys into the place 
he goes so he really bought into Dublin life um, I know someone was working with him in Argentina now and he's delivering most of his message through Spanish I know you know he yeah. obviously when he went to Italy he bought into that you know as a player when he went to Stad, he lived and breathed it but the problem in Stad is they found it very hard to get the players to really commit to Stad yeah. say because it's one it's it's a transient club there's been different owners Paris is such a big place it's probably and Racing are the same to a certain extent. It's very difficult. It's very easy for players to become anonymous in in, in Paris, and um, I think sometimes you need to have that pressure of not pressure, internal pressure or, or attachment to the to your to your city, to your province, to your club. Um, and I think going back to the Waratahs, he was able to do that. Um, yeah, I think in yeah. With, with great effect too. Yeah, with great effect. I think in Australia he did a huge amount from what I, I've read and I listened to to try and make that Wallaby jersey really special. It was obviously a difficult time uh, in Australian rugby and, and he, he navigated through that with maybe, from what I understand, you know, maybe a lack of alignment at the board level or a lack of support or whatever. But I, I think Michael Check, I would back Michael Check, at, you know, nine, 99 times out of 100 if, if it's an environment where players are willing to to go as deep as he will to be honest uh, to, you know, to, he's to, a, to, yeah he's a complicated guy i think that comes yeah, through in your book most, by the way yeah yeah he's a most he's brilliant a people are yeah, yeah. <laughs> no but they are in particular i think with Cheka, he's a guy he might be called michael chameleon almost he's a guy who keeps changing <laughs> And I mean, you look at him in Argentina yeah. now, so what he's doing there is actually quite different. He would not have been able to do that when he was the Leinster Michael Checker. I think certainly, he, certainly not in Australia. And certainly I think that's probably Australia. his frustration with some people around him is, you know, they're maybe not as quick as him to, to find these, uh, you know, these change points. But I think in your book, it comes through. You can tell that, yes, you're frustrated with the guy, but also you can tell you really want to please him. You can you also write some very flattering things about the guy. So he's kind of a complicated guy. That comes through uh, in your book, and I think it would be poorer if you'd taken out some of those things. I love some of the endearing parts, like your daughter saying, Daddy, let's put some ice cream on your knees, because I think she thought that the ice on your knees was ice cream. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> I don't know, to be honest, so the, the reason we had a fight at the end, or disagreement was, I, I basically had, the, the doctor had said to me in January, February, look, at, you know, we're not going to sign you off for another contract, your, your body's in bits. And a lot of that was down to, my knees were, were really bad. Like I couldn't really train, you know, Monday to Friday, but I was able to get through it on adrenaline and, and some anti-inflammatories on a Saturday. And, um, but it was really, I was getting a lot of concussions and, and obviously, and this yeah. is kind of why the book blew up as well, because, I basically diarized, uh, you know, or I said in the book, I think I had about 24, 25 concussions in that last year. Right. And right. this is 2010 when concussion wasn't really spoken about. And it just kind of coincided with the NFL case and people understanding now that concussion yeah. is a serious injury. So that was, you know, I, I basically made a commitment to my family that I would keep playing until the Heineken Cup was over and obviously hopefully win a Heineken Cup again. We won one in 2009. And then we got knocked out in the semi final. And I, I went into him and said, look, um, you know, I'm finished. I'm not going to play the last couple of rounds of the of the Pro 14. Or no, Magnus League was called. And um, and basically he said, no, I need you to play, blah, blah. And that, that's where the argument broke. But I, I also know if Michael Cheka hadn't had that singular focus in the previous five years where all he could think about was the team, team, the team, the team. How can I give this team the best possible chance of success? Mm -hmm. You know, if he didn't have that mindset, you can't have that 
you know, six days a week and not seven days a week. That's not the way he operates. He is yes. absolutely obsessed. The hardest working coach yeah. I've ever had. But I agree with you, Harry. He's not, you know, I think he had a bit of a chip on the shoulder to start because he didn't play for the Waratahs very much. I don't think he played for the Waratahs, but he was just Ramwick, really good player for Ramwick, but yeah. struggled to break through. Um, yeah, but I think what yeah. he's a master of, and maybe at the start he felt, geez, I'm coaching Brian O'Driscoll or I'm coaching, you know, Felipe Contaponi here. Do I deserve to be here? Well, I'm going to show them I deserve to be here through my passion, through my work rate, etc., through my loyalty, through my drive. I think now he's he's had success in Leinster European Cup. He's had success in the Waratahs Super Rugby. He's coached at international level. He's been you know, dip, dipping into rugby league and trying to learn from the NRL. I think he was involved mm. in the back room of one of the NRL teams. And yep, he, he is someone who actually is incredibly open to growth and, and learning and adapting and adapting himself as well. So, and that's what you want as a player. You want, you know, most coaches will ask their players to to have a growth mindset, but how many of them actually are actively yeah. trying to evolve? Mm-hmm. And, and he has that. So I, I, I would, uh, you know, we, we buried the hatchet. We had a reunion 2010 or 10 years later, 2019 before COVID. And he flew in, Chris Whittaker flew in, Stan Wright flew in, um, you know, we all got together for a couple of days, and, and it was brilliant. And I, I, I yeah, I, uh, I admire him massively. Do you, do you catch up with Checker every now and again now? No, well, if he was in Europe, if he was in Dublin, for sure, I'd love to yeah. give him a copy. But yeah. uh, um, no, and I'm looking forward to. As I said I've got two friends working with him in Argentina, and I think it's going to be really interesting. You know, watching him in in, in France and, and and back at the top level again. Um, yeah, and, and I think he has the tools. I think Argentina are back. You know. Yeah, sure. yeah, we we had a very similar experience. It was in a microcosm. We were we invited check on. He came on. It took us six months to land him in the end, uh, but uh, we were scared to death. Uh, and then he was the nicest guy. He's for he stayed for an hour. He's supposed to be for twenty minutes. He stayed for an yeah. hour. And he was just chatting about everything in the world. So I think he's a and very it was, and it was the guy. week the week after they beat New Zealand in New Zealand yeah. too. We couldn't <laughs> yeah. time it better. It was, it was good timing. No wonder he came on. Jump back to Leinster, you know, I've been fascinated. I've been over to Dublin a couple of times and I'm trying to get to the epicenter of rugby right now and understand what is going on in this Irish miracle, uh, this Irish renaissance, or maybe it's the best Irish rugby ever was. But uh, the more I talked about it, like a guy driving me around, Bobby told me, you should watch Gonzaga versus BlackRock. You know, BlackRock, 70 times champion, senior cup, Gonzaga never. And so I sat down last night and watched it. Uh, I'd, I'd watched uh, Black Rock St. Michael's and the standard of play at high school uh, level was unbelievable. And we had spoken with Stuart Lancaster before and he said the same thing, that there was something brewing that schools that were not playing rugby are now playing rugby. So for the Australian context, that's huge, right? To be able yeah. to go from GAA or add pitches yeah. to rugby, you know, for them, it's the, it's the threat of AFL or league. What's going on in Leinster, maybe wider, more wider um, context in Ireland? What's happening there that's creating such a high skill level and such an interest in rugby? Yeah, look, I, I think, I'm not sure. Look, the schools have always been good. So Blackrock had probably traditionally, all, or would have always had five or six players on the Irish team. You know, that was just, right. they are the biggest school, over t- or a thousand boys. Um, are the most winning um, school ever in Leinster Senior uh, Cup history. So there's that tradition of playing and, and a lot of pe- people who are dads who went there would send their kids there and you know they know when, they, when they're born they're going to go to Black Rock so they start playing rugby at four or five or go to Black Rock to the junior school um, Willow Park. So 
it's that that's always been there and that's still there and that's still very strong but what's what's now happening is a, a school like Gonzaga who always played in that competition but to be honest were were never really you know at the races in terms of winning it they would have a good team every now and again but now over the last three years they've got they've got sorry over the last 10 years they've been to three finals and they heavily mm. lost the first two and they lost last year to black rock heavily they lost the first one to st michael's and uh, but then you know they learn from that they don't give up they come back and, and they they beat a, a brilliant black rock team and then um, that's brilliant to see another school you know coming up to the top table but then it's the it's not just that it's it's the so there's probably seven or eight core schools who are private schools so the schools have school fees and they're investing money into the pathway right so yeah, you know you'll have ex players like Sean Cronin the Leinster or, or an Ireland hooker he's got 70 odd caps for Ireland he's back working with a school called St Mary's Johnny Sexton's old school um Johnny Murphy who played for Leicester and Munster is coaching my old school um Newbridge College uh Tomas O'Leary the former uh Munster in Ireland scrum half is the director of a school called Clongos Wood College which is a, a boarding school and then you've got other coaches who aren't ex-professionals and uh, but who are brilliant brilliant coaches and they're kind of looking at their pathway as a young coach or an old coach and going well where can I really test myself what's the best level of competition in Ireland and to be honest and people might like to be saying this is that a lot of them are making the decision to go to a schools team rather than an amateur senior adults team um because yeah. because um you have so much more time together you have 30 30 odd players who are absolutely committed to having their best ever experience in with their best friends you know the best friends for life that schools game you saw that in the final i think there was twelve thousand people there like i i, I commentated on all the games they're, they're all live on tv Three or four thousand people you know the, all the students will go they have their chance it's a little bit like you at college football in a yeah uh, college sports yeah. in america in a smaller way in a smaller way um and it's you know they've got snc coaches they've got nutritionists they've got sports psychologists they've got video analysts they've got they've got everything to go on tours so say michaels who lost in the semi-final went to play a competition this year in thailand um against other schools from around the world so that's that that, that that's been really ramped up and um, I sound like professional programs. Yeah, it's professional programs. Um, and look, I'm not. Everybody's not getting a load of money out of it. Some of it's actually people just do want to give back to their school or wanting yeah. to be in that environment yeah. where they're working with committed athletes. And then you have you have other schools, new schools who who basically who never let rugby in, um, and now they play in in in, in tiered competitions. You know. Um, mm. So they're out. There's probably new players playing rugby now who never played rugby before. Why? Um, well, one, it's one of the few sports we can compete at a global stage. So we're number one in the world, right? I know rugby's not played all over the world, but we're number one in the world at the moment. Uh, but also, also, if you want your your son or daughter to be able to go watch an international, world-renowned player, you can go get tickets not for not for Ireland England right you you're over that but you can't get tickets for Ireland England but you can get tickets for Leinster against Glasgow uh, or yes. Connacht against uh, Leinster or Munster so you can go watch Johnny Sexton you can bring your kids to see Johnny Sexton you can stand outside the dressing room afterwards and get a selfie and get a photograph with him um you know you meet him in the shops and that's not just him that's every single professional yeah. player 
in Ireland is in Ireland, right? Whereas in soccer, and I know you guys have this in NRL and, and Super Rugby, but some of your best talent in Australia are, 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 is actually are playing elsewhere as overseas, well, right? Yeah, uh, yeah overseas. And, and whereas we we have kept them all here, um, and Ireland is only four and a half million people. I think it's really a, a parish, um, and you know it doesn't take <laughs> within three or four phone calls you, you, you speak to someone who, who's related to to Peter Manny or, or or knows him. You know, there's that yeah. there's that local you know, um, aspect of it. And then there's this whole thing about, you know, if you're born in, in West Clare or born in, in Mayo, you know, when you're born, you know, pretty early in your channel, in your, in your childhood, you know what province you're from, you know, what, you know what county you're from and what province. Yeah. So and yeah. most of our provinces have, you know, have, have maybe 90% or 80% anyway of, of, of the team are from there. So, and likewise in the school system or, you know, it's this whole thing about, well, if I can make my school first team, Maybe I can make the Leinster schools. Maybe I yeah. can then play for you know uh, for the Leinster academy. Then I can play for Leinster. So it's some of it's not it's not all down to amazing strategy. Some of it's down to the way the country divided up you know uh, naturally into four. We all know where we're from, and then you have this this competition at schools level, which is kind of supportive of itself in that uh, the schools are so proud of what they do. Um, they create this environment rather than expect the ARU to come in and kind of go look at guys, do this, no, do think, that. Yeah, I think you know, right. it's, it's actually got, it's, it's got pageantry to it. It's got yeah. um, you know fire. There's singing songs. There's waving yeah. flag. The students are in. They're all dressed in yeah. their blue and white hoops. Um, in the double ones. Rock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it. Uh, Brett, you should you should watch some of these. Uh, you can watch the whole match on YouTube. Yeah. But um, what I was also finding virtual was that the the style of play. Maybe this is chicken egg egg chicken that Leo Cullum or Stuart Lancaster or somebody developed in these places at the highest level, it's trickling down. The hookers are playing like Dan Sheehan. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, the, fly, the fly-offs are doing inside passes. They're, they're doing quick, short, short passes. No one's doing loops. In fact, if anyone does a long one, you kind of, it, it sticks out. Uh, yeah. they're, they're playing close to the rock. It's, the next breakdown is really accessible for cleaners. It's like smart rugby, but I'm watching it thinking, this is like baby Ireland, you know? Yeah, um, no, it is. Yeah, it yeah. is, and to be honest, I think, so Stuart Lancaster will be good with his time. Um, you know, he he has given uh, seminars, you know, learned the Leinster way, and invites would go out to coaches in in Leinster, and you know, um, I think there's, and see again, but it's it's kind of if you want to win, you know, are you going to play a modern style of rugby? Or are you going to play an old fashioned style of rugby? If you want to progress as a coach, are you going to coach? You know, what you taught work 10 years ago are you going to coach what you see working yeah. on saturday so it's all it's not just a, you know Stuart lancaster giving his time that's that's brilliant and that's a part of it and, and and his message was well delivered but it's this whole thing about you know how do i want to do as a as a coach you know um how do i want my team to play how do i want to give them exactly. the best chance of winning um you know can i do i have time in my work schedule to analyze what the best teams in the world are doing can i communicate that message do you know what the, the reality is the players want that the players are pushing everybody's pushing each other so leinster are pushing the schools to be better um the, the competition and the, the history and the past pupils and the parents and the teachers and the headmasters and the board of governors are pushing to be better the players are pushing to be better uh the coaches are ambitious in their own minds so they're pushing to be better so you have this you have this scenario or environment where 
everybody is just driven to succeed. So like you've got directors of rugby in schools thinking about, you know, okay, you know, we're we're not at the races at the moment, but what's what are we going to do next year's first years, which is under 13s? You know, they're the, they're the new crop we're going to come in. How can we put an environment around them so that when they're under 15, they play in a thing called a junior cup, they have the best possible chance of of yeah, not winning, just reach them. And and that's there's two things collectively and individually. So what Leinster yeah. then will come in and do, and they'll say, look at under 16s, we think that's the they're the best four loose heads in, in, in under 16s rugby in Leinster. We want them to come into our summer camp. Um, so then they will take them for whatever four or five weeks over the summer, and then those kids are in a pathway as such, uh, you know. So yeah. it's it's the individual and the collective, but it's it, it's um it's very powerful it, it, it works really well at the moment you know rugby on the raw Bernard how much super rugby are you seeing this year you mentioned breakfast rugby before how much do you do you get to, yeah. to take in you know what uh, I actually um, so what I I, I kind of go in um, in phases so I have I'm lucky enough I have a, have a software where I can download games um, I've been watching mainly the Kiwis, to be honest. Uh, yeah. Just keeping an eye on them. There's a, there's a prop from Munster went to the Chiefs. John Ryan is coming yes. back to Munster, so I've been watching them. But I haven't seen as much as I would like. But I, what I tend to do is, so the Six Nations was really busy for for me as a, as a pundit. So um, I kind of zoom in on that and do a good bit of media around that. And now um, after this weekend, which is the quarterfinals of the of the Champions Cup things just start to settle down a little bit. Um, and then what I'll do is I'll, I'll start catching up on all the Super Rugby as we go into the Rugby Championship, yeah. you know, just to know who's playing well, what teams are doing, et cetera. So I'm not as up to, up to speed on it as, as I and, as I am at certain times of the year. And are you already game playing the, the possible quarterfinals? I mean, <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, going to be in the Irish brain. Yeah. Is the quarterfinals yeah, but, and, and, and I'm absolutely... But I'm fast, and that's why I've been watching the Kiwis, to be honest, because obviously, yeah, we, we won't run into Australia. Um, we play South Africa in our group stage, but I get to see them every week in the Champions Cup or, or the URC. Mm. But I'm fascinated to see the rugby championship, and you know, this this is very unusual for New Zealand in my memory of knowing the coaches who the new coaches coming in after the competition. Obviously, you know, Fuzzy had a, a difficult enough season last year with some you know losing to argentina losing to ireland at home a lot of speculation about his job etc um joe schmidt's in there now um maybe a bit of a Scott, player drain Scott, yeah Scott uh, Robinson coming yes, next year yeah that's what i mean yeah. so like you know like it's can they re- really focus get yeah. back on top of the world like new zealand have got into most world cups clearly number one um and they may they may go into this world cup the best team in the world again even if the rankings say they're not, um, no, at the moment the rankings are one and two Ireland, France, but like, you know, or maybe New Zealand go into this World Cup looking a little bit off and then just, just fire. Think, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, uh, and because they've gone into World Cups, clearly the best team in the world and not won them sometimes <laughs> as well. So, but I am, yeah, I'm really fascinated. Like, I don't know at the moment if we qualify out of our group, are we better off playing France or, or New Zealand? Um, but I think after the Rugby Championship, you know, I'd have a lot better idea of, of who I yeah. want to play. It was probably a big. It was probably big this year for you guys to beat the French. I mean, that was. I think that was kind of a relief that that match in the Six Nations, uh, where you won by double figures, bonus yeah. point. I think it. You know, I was in Ireland, 
in was it November, and then it was Ireland again, St. Paddy's Day, and yes, uh, there was there was saying. there was more confidence going on. I think there was it was a more confident rugby population. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, look, I think yeah, I think Harry. Yeah, it was I think just all that. It's so a, it's, yeah, yeah. Just just I know where you're going with this, so I think I do anyway. So basically, there's a we're the World Cup failures of the past have made us. Um, I suppose very cynical about do we deserve to, do, do we deserve to be there? Yeah. Do we deserve to be yeah. there? So we go to New Zealand, win two tests, first time ever, win a test series. When winning an away match against the oh, Chicago, we obviously won, but winning in New Zealand side, we won one, then we won two. So to win a test series for us was massive. Yeah. But then you could argue New Zealand are in a bit of transition, and also they're not the type of team that have really killed us, which is the power teams, the power. The big yeah. massive teams. So. In November, when you met us, when you were over, we were worried about South Africa. And to be fair, we beat South Africa, but we, we wasn't like yeah, it wasn't yeah. really convincing. And then we we muddled through Australia, and um, Australia really put us in, in in an awkward position. But it was without Sexton. Mm-hmm. But I think, and then we went right. Well, you know, in in the in the spring tour for you guys for the autumn internationals for us, we're generally fresh, and you guys are usually tired, or you guys are. Are planning for you know the future and maybe trying some new combinations, etc. So we really put a lot of pressure on ourselves to beat France, um, mm. and you know so that game for us. I think once we beat France, the public kind of went, okay, we actually have a maybe, team here, yeah, maybe that we maybe can maybe actually believe in, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, but <laughs> until then, and that, but like you know, there's still a lot of people going, oh no, World Cup, sure, we always flop a World Cup. We haven't got into a World Cup. We haven't got into a World Cup. With the type of team we have now, so 2019 Japan, yeah. Yeah. 2018 yeah. we were number one in the world, but 2019 Six Nations we were slipping, 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 and we all we hadn't evolved our game plan. And as a pundit, I was like, "Oh, Joe Schmidt's keeping stuff back," you know, blah blah blah. But the reality was that the damage we did to ourselves mentally, I think, and confidence wise, and the fact yes. that our game plan hadn't evolved, we couldn't yeah. get over that in in, in, yeah. in, the, in the in the in the autumns. Whereas now, I think. You know, we're going in on the back of having backed up last year with, you know, a good summer tour, a good November, a very good Six Nations, you know, obviously, and a team with lots of different threats, the Dan Sheens, the, you know, the Caelan Dorises, the Hugo Keenans. It's not just Johnny Sexton, Conor no, Murray right. anymore. Well, so, well, so on, on, on Sexton then, Bernard, is there still a, a concern? Is there still a... A worry in the back of the the average Irish rugby fan's mind, and he's just been ruled out of the rest of the season with a with a groin injury. Is there a feeling of what if he goes down early? Look, I think for me, I think Leinster can win without Johnny, right? Because yeah, yeah, they actually have so much quality in every position. Obviously, a lot of that same quality goes up a level to a lot of those same players go up a level to play for Ireland with with Johnny. You know, you've got. A few other players from other provinces, but it's a very Leinster centric team. Yes. Um, I think Ireland, I think Ross Byrne will actually benefit massively from getting to play now for Leinster. And he was very good at the weekend against Ulster. You know, he's going to have to win trophies for Leinster himself, whatever. And he's yeah. going to be playing outside Gibson Park. He's going to be playing inside Robbie Henshaw and Gary Ringrose. Gary Ringrose was injured Saturday, but he's back this week. So he's going to be playing with James Lowe, Hugh Keenan. So he's going to be part of that back line as such. And probably most of the back rows, most of the team, um, which is going to be brilliant for him. But I think it would be naive to think that for us to beat a France, New Zealand, 
South Africa and Australia and Argentina in a must-win cup match that we don't have a better chance if Johnny Sexton plays. And it's not just what Johnny Sexton does, it's what he helps everyone else believe yeah. or yeah. see. It's the, um, the, the aura and, that comes with it. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And yeah. with referees, with you know, with half times, um, you know, when the game is in the in the balance, I think he is massively important to us. Yeah. And I think we're better equipped in terms of when he retires and that someone like Ross Byrne or Jack Crowley or Joey Carby will come in. And everyone, we've, we've a better spread of quality, but show me a World Cup winning team who haven't had a 10, who yes. had that ability exactly. to, to get the job done. And, that, yeah. and Johnny yeah. has proven at that level, not a World Cup, but... He's done enough in his yeah. career to, to say he can do it. No, in your book, you actually point out, and, and it, it's written, what, in 09, 10? Um, yeah, 10. You, you, said, you said that Johnny Sexton looked world-class. Uh, what Did was I? it? And, that, and, and you know yeah. what? So I'm close yeah. to Johnny. Like, in 2009, he was having a really difficult period. Um, 2008, yeah. 2009. And uh, he was thinking about leaving. And because you were, him and Cheka, they're very similar, actually very similar personalities, very emotional. <laughs> um, very emotional guys. And they used to fight. And I remember... Mm. I was an old codger and I was like, I could see this passion. I could see yeah. this kind of, I want it now. You know, he's not like a lot of, and this is, a, this is actually a bad thing, but there's a lot of players, and Leinster have less of them now than they have now, but there's a lot of players who are just happy to have a tracksuit um, in, in, in squads, right? So yes. there's a lot of guys who, you know, I've got a contract for two years. I'm playing for Leinster. I have a sponsored car. I've got a boot deal. I've got an agent. Um, you know, I'm made. Whereas Johnny... Johnny just wanted to be there pulling the strings because he felt he could do better. And like, he probably, it was a logical argument because Felipe Contaponi was playing, right? So Cheka was picking a world-class player ahead of an academy guy, right? But Johnny Johnny wanted it because um, he felt he could make us better. And it was actually an injury to Contaponi in Croke Park for the 82,000 people after 15 minutes against Munster where Munster were one to five favourites. Um and Johnny had to come on, kick a penalty, and then he had to play two weeks later in a final in Murrayfield. And the pressure that he was under was massive because this was Leinster's first ever Heineken Cup, and he just rose to the occasion and, and rose to yeah. it. So I've always felt um, I've always felt Johnny special. Um, and again, it's not he's not a Quade Cooper, um, you know, he's not a Dan Carter, or Bowden Barrett. He has his own unique set of attributes and values and 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 drive that has a massive effect on any team he he plays for and um yeah yeah, yeah he, he, thank god he, he i've been wrong on lots of things um it's a it's a hell of a thing to be right about yeah, i guess the question yeah. there bernard is um is he actually on the physio table or have you got him in cotton wool and a cryogenics no, so he, chamber he somewhere off, now you're he just resting him last, for the six months he had the off last week um quite sore uh was, yeah he was in a good bit of pain so i don't he watched watch the lencer game at home which wouldn't be like him but uh, you know once he can start to move he'll be he'll yeah. be you know he'll be pushing the boundaries there in terms of getting back getting stronger um you know i think it was a 12-week injury the doc the doc's thought so johnny would obviously be trying to cut as much off that he'd love to come back like i'd, I'd hate to think that he's played his last ever game for leinster like he had to send off for ireland of you know, captain and being the first captain to captain Ireland to win a Grand Slam at home. Yeah, he passed that run. Like if Netflix are doing a documentary, I don't know if you know this, but yeah. Netflix <laughs> are following around the, the the Six Nations teams 
And they're, uh, you know, yes, they're, they're, too, the yeah. content they're going to get from Johnny and you know alone is going to be amazing. But he passed that Ronan Gara <laughs> as the, the leading point scorer for Ireland in that last day against uh, England. Yeah. But, um. So, but but if the medics are right, he won't play for Leinster again. Um, mm. which I think would be very sad given what he's done there. But I think in his mind, he's probably going to be saying, look, if I can get back quicker than they tell me it's a URC final or a Champions Cup final yeah. that I can target. But let's let's see. I'd love to see how Netflix edit the celebrations. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I don't know how <laughs> many days. I think the lads just got him so drunk that they couldn't press record. You know I mean? Yeah, <laughs> maybe. Maybe that's the go. A, la- a last question before we let you go, Bernard. What, what would a World Cup victory mean for Ireland rugby in, in 2023 after the party that you've just finished up having or it might still be going what, at, what would what would what would lifting Bill Ellis in in, in October mean oh it'd be, it'd be phenomenal like we I don't know if you've ever seen the soccer world cups like we haven't got to the last couple of ones but we went to Italian 90 um and fans went there we got further we got out of group stages which was very unexpected and people were ringing the banks and the credit unions Saying send more money, I'm not coming back. Like we, we love a band. <laughs> we, we love a we love a bandwagon. Obviously, France is very accessible for us. Um, yeah. uh, we're competing. Like rugby doesn't have it all its own way here. Like it's actually not. Yeah, the, I think it's the fourth uh, most popular sport um, in terms of playing numbers. Soccer and the two Gaelic games, hurling and football, our Gaelic football are are are, are still dominant. But it would give it a massive boost. And I don't think we look at. I love kids playing all sports. I love, you know, I'm not saying rugby's the best or whatever, but I think for us to be able to compete on a, on an international stage, um, it would be phenomenal. And, and people will row in behind it. And as I said, you know, um, it's so close. We'll have big numbers there as well. Um, we like the yeah. people will go in and out. Some people will go there for the whole tour, but tournament, but people will be able to fly in and out for charter flights for games. And, and uh, I think yeah. it's going to be phenomenal. France can yeah. hold, can hold world cups, Olympics really well. And, um, I think it's going to be a great tournament. Yeah, no doubt. Look, it's been fantastic to, to speak with you. It's been a uh, really, really enjoyable chat. We've got so many things that we were going to ask you, but they've just been lost along the way because we got so engrossed in this. Um, thanks so much for, for sparing some time for us, and uh, I'd I'd love to do it again later. Yeah, in the guys, year. I know. I, I, I love what you're doing. Anything? Yeah. Anything you need? No, just yeah. I won't make you wait six months like check it, but. He had, um, <laughs> he, had he, had, he had a good excuse. He was busy beating the All Blacks, so I, I'm only uh, I, I, I'm only thinking about and talking about it. So yeah, look, anytime you need me, let me know. Brilliant, yeah, yeah, fantastic. We love it. Thanks, Thanks very guys. much, Bernard. Cheers. See you, Bernard. The roar, Harry. Fantastic, absolutely fantastic to have Bernard Jackman on. We will absolutely get him back on through the year. Just a great chat. Love, absolutely love that. Bernard Birch, Blue Blood Jackman, not related to Hugh. No, I thought it was really brilliant to talk to. I knew it would be. Um, yeah. But I just, I just love, um, I love hearing more about this, uh, this Irish thing. I think from an Australian context, it's super important. Yeah, yeah. Think There's lessons to learn. Like five sure. years, ten yeah. years. It's not just about yeah. you know this year. And I know that Eddie has to do a smash and grab, as he says. But you know, beyond that, there's a the, the World Cup's coming. There just seems to be a lot of room there for innovation and creativity on getting more schools, not less, to play rugby in yeah. Australia. 
Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. The uh, the Champions Cup quarterfinals uh, this weekend coming as as we mentioned, um, and 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 again as as I as I mentioned in the chat um, in Australia, uh, be in sports is your is your friend there. Um, was a really interesting round of Super Rugby in the end, um, high scoring again, and and that's in line with what we saw in the the numbers that were released late last week, in which they said the average points in game through the first five rounds has gone from 53 points per game last year up to 61. Um, and then I've actually written more on this uh, in my column on Tuesday on, on the Raw. And, and and I worked out as well, we've gone from an average of 6.8 or 9 tries per game to 8.4. So there's more tries being scored, but they've the, the law variations have had a massive effect on the amount of dead time it's being killed. So all of a sudden it's taking half as long to, 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 to form set pieces and to make replacements and uh, the card process and the foul play, foul play process on, on average last year was taking a minute 40 or a minute 50 or something like that. Now it's about 45 seconds. So, uh, and then the big one I think is total elapsed time in games. It's gone from well beyond 98 minutes, something like that last year to, to, 96.40 or, so, or 91.40, I beg your pardon. They've slashed about six and a half minutes on it. And so many people are saying, you know, the games are quicker, the, the fatigue factor is there. And uh, and I've said to you before, from a broadcast point of view, I'm on the field doing post-match interviews a lot earlier than I ever have. But yeah. we've, we're actually talking about this after the game on the weekend. Once upon a time, Pat McCabe, our expert, and I used to, have a bit of a chat. We we keep the narrative going as they're getting ready to set scrums and set lineouts and all that. We had time to have those conversations. We're not doing it this year. So yeah, yeah. in turn, we're not giving Tim Gable our head caller. We're not giving him a chance to rest. That was that was the other part to it. We'd actually give him a chance to rest, and now he's just going all the way through. Yeah, I mean mismatch rugby has always been a game of mismatches, and so the yeah. new laws are creating mismatches in time and space that maybe didn't exist. And you see a guy like Pete Samu, who's always been very dynamic, but literally when I watched him score, it was like he was playing a different speed. Uh, he was on a video yeah. game where you could speed him up, and he just he was able to just explode. So I would think that uh, under the LVs, you'll have more of that late game uh, where someone yep, who's just sure. got a little a little more oomph can get over. The Sharks did that yep. kind of the monster actually. Um, and so, and so in, think, in my in my column on that yeah. topic, I've I've looked at how many tries are being scored in the last twenty five minutes of games, um, and it's spoiler, it's more than a third. That that's a big thing. That's it, a big change. A yeah, um, yeah. But then you look at the Blues Chiefs, which I watched with great interest, which is kind of an all black trial, as Jamie yeah. Wall put it. Um, yeah. the, the finishing quality, but yet the score was twenty thirteen. The finishing quality was so high to score. What you had to do and, against each, each one of those teams, and then you had some, you know, obviously brain farts by Bowden Barrett, but but in general, it looked like it was difficult to find space. So I just think yes. if you have highly, like incredibly fit teams, the Blues and Chiefs are both really fit teams. Then it doesn't really expose mismatches as much. But when you had Waratahs no. Brumbies, there were some people at the end that were gassed. Drua yeah. Rebels. I mean, it looked like yeah. people were out on their feet. <laughs> that was a that was a, that was a genuine game of two halves, like like yeah. seriously a game of a game of two halves. First half was thirty three seven at halftime. The Drua led. Second half twenty one five to the Rebels. I thought the the Bachelor Callaway was really good and had a uh, massive impact, didn't he? 
I saw that on the Wallabies release of um, team that had that had that had the beautiful handsome Callaway as their yeah. poster boy. So that yeah, says and, something. And yeah. It does. It does. It's, it does say something. On the topic of news, uh, Eddie Jones has now named his first squad of his second Wallabies reign, a 33-man training squad. And I did have to laugh. There was a little bit of conversation in recent weeks about the size of the squad that Dave Rennie named in January, being 44, I think it was. Dave Rennie named 33. It was going to be cutthroat. But then he named three rehab players, and then he named seven players overseas that are joined by by Zoom. And and then he named another five or six that he didn't consider due to injury. We're well over forty four now. Just saying. On that lot, issue, it's very, and, it's very much the same. On that issue, and maybe three or four others. I think Dave Rennie's not going to look as bad as he looks right now in about a year. I think yeah. first of all, like he was working with what he was working with. He had yeah. an he had a, he had a cataclysmic injury count. I'm not, that's not excuses. Oh. It's, it's just reality. It's, it's not an excuse. Right. It's not an excuse. Yeah. It's what happened. There was 40-plus injuries last let's year. Let's make you have the longest hellish tour at the end of the year that anyone's <laughs> yeah. ever had. Let's do that yeah. and then judge you on that, on that yeah. tour. You know, we want you to win three of those instead of two. And, then, and not you know, just judge kick, you. Hold you to account when it doesn't happen. One kick doesn't go over by Ben Donaldson, who's in the Eddie squad, and then you know yeah. you're you're out. If that goes over, is he still in? I don't know. But I just think that you look at the squads; they're not that different. Um, no, there's just there's a few quirks. They're Eddie quirks for some reason. Eddie doesn't like to have a two, lot of number only nines. two scrum halves. <laughs> I don't know what that's all about. Uh, only two scrum halves. That's that's it. And I, and I know that at a, at a World Cup you'll only take thirty three, but surely you take three scrum halves. Surely you take three. And even from a training standpoint, I mean, isn't that like one of the number one? You have to have you have yeah. to have a nine. That's how you play. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that's and I guess that's intriguing. Sh- and, then he, and then he had a million fly halves and. Uh, and uh, no, no, there's only two flyer. He only named Carter Gordon and Ben Donaldson. No, but he has uh, well, he has his place mark, Tom. Tom, uh, he, he, named, he named jobs, he dropped name jobs, Quade Cooper, Bernard Foley, Tom, Lyra. <laughs> right? Just he, just to he make wouldn't, sure that the other guy he wouldn't like, talk Noah about knows. Noah, yeah. he wouldn't yeah. talk about Noah Lolaseo, but said his name. Um, you know, like James O'Connor's in the same boat as well. It's a it's a very I, d- I don't get too hung up on training squads. They're not going to play a game. So it doesn't really mean a whole lot. But it is still a bit curious in some of the mixed messages that he's sending. Um, and, you know, we've talked about Harry Wilson already. We've talked about that he's only picked two scrum halves. And so there's a massive rocket straight away for Tate McDermott and Jake Gordon. But then he picks Suliasi Vunavalu, who, holy moly, I don't think I've seen a complimentary word written about him this season. And it just absolutely phoned it in on the weekend. Just yeah. looked like not not even not even off the pace, just days away from the pace. Yeah, there's some experimental picking there. I, I do think you're right yeah. about the message word. I think it's a message. I think he's he's talking to the player a group in some way, and and some yeah. will get it somewhat. Not everyone's going to like that way of talking, uh, by the way. Although, so, uh, although yeah. not talking to all the players, he admitted that he hadn't actually spoken to everyone, which was curious exactly. in itself, and for. For all of the criticism you might have had for Dave Rennie, he made a point of speak to blokes. His communication was top notch. So I yeah, think that's. A, I think when you have such a short time, it's really important on clarity. So I would think Eddie needs to make sure that he's being really clear about what the secret plan is to win the World Cup that he said he had in England. You know, is it the same one? Is he just 
you know, ozified it. What's that? What's happened? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and tell players, tell Harry Wilson, I want you to carry less and I want you to tackle more, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. Say it. And, and, and the, shame, the shame of it was, and I know that one game doesn't often make a lot of difference in squad, but the shame of it came was that it came after Harry Wilson carries what, 18 and 19 times for 115 metres or something like that against the Crusaders. You know, like it was one of his. Against the Crusaders. Three against the Crusaders. Three, three yeah. clean breaks. I mean, yeah. he tackled yeah. 10 times. One of his well. biggest games in years. Yeah, yeah. Look, it's a, it's a curious one. Um, they gather up on the Gold Coast in about two weeks' time or something like that, which I think is the last week of the buy round. So Super Rugby now goes into this three-week period where – all 12 teams will have their buy. So there's only four games a week from here on in. So uh, yeah. this weekend, so round seven this weekend with four teams having the buy. So we've left with Crusaders, Moana Pacifica uh, on uh, Friday night. Reds, Brumbies up in Queensland will be great. Then Highlanders, Hurricanes uh, down in Dunedin on Saturday will be a good game as well. And then Rebels, Blues in Melbourne could be kind of anything. So that's that's going to be that's going to be sort of game. We'll see how that goes. Uh, on the topic of World Cup, um, looks like Rassi might have got Nigel Owens. Yep. Looks like it might be happening. So we'll see how that goes. Stuart Hogg confirmed last week. I think pretty much as I was doing the edit, in fact, um, of the of the Ian Pryor episode, that he's he'll be retiring from rugby after the the Rugby World Cup. Uh, in France, and we certainly wish him all the best. Uh, a few reports during the week I noticed that suggest that maybe the Newcastle Falcons and London Irish are maybe in a bit of trouble, and that there could be another couple of premiership clubs in delicate situations, which after the loss of Wasps and Worcester is not what premiership rugby would want. Similarly, Clanelli announced midweek that they'd be pulling out of the Welsh Premiership, which is sort of the first major dominator fall after the uh, the vote for reform within Welsh rugby as well. So that's going to be curious. And then as we went to air tonight, as we've stepped into our studios, uh, a few reports that Harry Wilson and Suliasi Bunavalu uh, either have agreed to or are about to sign, re-sign with the Reds and, uh, and, and Rugby Australia for, for two years. So, yeah. We'll see. We'll see what to make of that. You know what we need to talk to? And I can't believe we've not spoken about this in six weeks. We need to talk Super Rugby tipping, mate. <laughs> yeah, because it's, <laughs> it's a sore subject with me. I'm having my worst year ever. Yeah. And I'm, I was trying to work I'm out three, where it's all gone three south. Three or four moments. Here. I'm just three or four moments away. I'd I went counter panel on, like, the Blues, and then I don't know what they did, but they just decided yep. not to win. Like, Bowden Barracks, so I don't want to touch it down. Yeah. You were two ahead of me after round three. And since then, you've picked. We've picked seven games different, and you've lost them all. I know. And so now I'm five clear of you. I'm I'm so gun shy now. I, so now I'm going to pick just the most. <laughs> I'm going to go with like the most conventional picks for now. But I'm I just, just going I thought I had with some teams. Things. Yeah. Oh. I'm just going with home teams. You can find yeah. uh, the tipping panel with Jeff Parks and our mate Digger Kane and Christy Dora as well on uh, on the Raw on Thursdays as well. So uh, tune Digger. in for that. It's a, it's a great discussion to uh, to kick off the rugby weekend as well. But, mate, I think that might be us done for what will be a, a bumper episode 56 of the Raw Rugby Podcast. Don't forget Harry and I are both on the socials. Uh, please do leave us a rating or a review if your pod platform allows it. And don't forget to like, follow, subscribe 
uh, to ensure and to guarantee that every new episode drops into your notifications. It's the Raw Rugby Podcast with me, Brett McKay, and Harry Jones every week on the raw.com.au, Australia's biggest sporting debate, home of all your favourite rugby analysis, opinions, and conversations. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in your ears next week.